podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good evening. Welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. It is today at the World Cup. I'm your host tonight, Matt, stepping in for one half of the dynamic always here duo of Chris and Kev. But Kev's drawn the uh, short straw again. He does another show. How are you, Kev? I'm good. Not too bad. Midweek now. We're nearly at hump day. Hump day is tomorrow. Get over tomorrow and then we can start looking towards the weekend again. Another day closer to when Liverpool are playing, which is good. Um, But yeah, no. Uh, all good, all good. Last sixteen games, last of them tonight, and really good. You know, some good games, but I don't think bar one, no real massive shocks. You know, and I don't. Yeah, I looked at today's game. To be fair, with Morocco beating Spain three 0 in penalties, wasn't a massive shock. You know what yeah. I mean? It was a surprise, yeah, because it's Morocco's first time getting into the quarterfinals. But in truth. Spain had one really good win in the against Costa Rica, but other than that, they've looked pretty toothless all the way through. And as it proved today, they were they had all the ball side to side, moving side to side and side to side again, and they just had no 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 cutting edge. You know, it was like watching Barcelona without a striker, without someone up front, like without Suarez. Mm-hmm. You know that type of game. It was it was painful to watch at times, but then tonight in Portugal, wow! Uh, I I was impressed with Portugal. Really was. Um, Switzerland were poor, but I think they were made to look poor. Portugal scored scored six, but yeah, manager made some big calls, big decisions, but got them got them right, and they were clinical tonight. They were really good. Yeah, they certainly put their chances away. They uh, and they didn't didn't seem to really take the foot off the gas too much against the poor Swiss, who kind of were put to the sword by Portugal tonight. So really I mean, it sets us up with some pretty tasty quarterfinal games to look forward to. You know, yeah, uh, Mor- Morocco being kind of the outlier in there, but other than that, the other seven teams you look at them, and those are all teams that you probably would have had you know in your bracket for a final eight when you were doing a prediction before the tournament. I think Bar. I was it. Look, you look back. I, I think back to the shows we, I did with Gav doing before the World Cup. The disappointing ones were really Denmark, um, Serbia, Germany. Expected a lot more out of those threes. It's Belgium. I mean, Germany were always, you know, you had a, something over them that it just didn't look right without uh, a proper striker. You know, they were always looked like they might. Um, they could, they were capable of falling apart, but you know they're Germany, so you expect them to do something. But expected so much more from Denmark. Um, but to not even come out of the group, that was just a big surprise. Serbia, again, the only time they were able to get their two main strikers on the pitch was at the end, and it just wasn't enough. Um, they gambled on taking players who weren't match fit, and it didn't pay off. But yeah, the ones that got through, I mean, Bar Spain, you're looking at probably seven countries, all with a real credible argument that are capable of going and win it. Um, you know, all they got to do is put three results together. That's all that's it right. is. And that's all you are now. You're at a stage where from quarterfinals on, 
anything can happen. And it's you look through the games and you can make arguments for all of them. We'll we'll go through them all one by one in a minute, but there's serious arguments there for um all of these for all of these quarterfinals to open up and have a right go at this. It's just a case of who's going to be brave enough on the day to take their chances. That's what it's going to come down to in the end. There's not much really between all of the countries that are left in it. You know, Portugal will be delighted with the way their draw has opened up now with Spain being knocked out and you have Morocco. Morocco carrying injuries into that game against Portugal. See what's, what happens with Roman Sice. He yeah. could be he could be a massive miss. If he's missing, Portugal looked like they could run amok. But at the same time, they've looked good all the way through Morocco. So that's got to be the one that you'd say you'd, you'd nearly put the mortgage on Portugal getting through that one because of the depth that they have. But the rest of them, the other three, are anything could happen. They don't include England and France in that. Anything can happen in that game. There's no, there's no guarantee shoe-ins. And that's what makes it interesting. You know, it's... Um, I mean, the first one up... The first one up is Argentina. Is, no, the first one's up is Brazil and, and Croatia, isn't it? Three o'clock I believe Friday. so, yeah. Yeah, three o'clock Friday in Brazil and Croatia. In Croatia, you look at it and they're like probably the most boring ones in it. You know, they're just like... Plodding alongs, happy go lucky, steady eddies all of the way through. But they're just getting the job done. And you look at the when they won their penalty shootout, they were clinical in their penalties. And they're confident in their ability to get it to penalties. They look they didn't look in any danger of conceding, even with Lovren at the back. It's like they were um confident in that the midfield could carry them through. Whether that midfield can carry them through against what I watched in Brazil yesterday, don't know. Yeah, for me, I think this is the probably the easiest one to call because I, I give a lot of respect to Morocco, and we'll talk about them later, just simply being in Canada's group and watching them just that little bit more. Uh, but Croatia, also coming out of Canada's group, I thought were poor. I thought they were slow. Yeah, you know, deserved runners up in the group, but even if they hadn't have gone through, you wouldn't have been, you know, extremely surprised by it given the way that they played and brazil brazil have been strong and i mean brazil have strength and depth you know when you're able to bring your third string keeper in for you know a cameo appearance it's yeah that's that speaks to something for the for the strength of your team going through it and they just have speed and goal scoring and that's something that croatia to me seems to be lacking massively i mean the thing is when you look at the brazil with the lineup the way they they they're playing almost like a four two four with Neymar in a free role. Yeah, Richarlison in that target man target man role number nine can get in behind. He can hold it up. He can bring others into play. You're playing with two proper wingers in Vinicius and um, Rafinha. Both players were pressing like mad as well. You know they were proper pressing off the ball, the work rate off the ball to enable having someone like Neymar in the side. Because that's what you have to do. If you're playing with someone like Neymar who ain't going to do the donkey work, you know, he's technically brilliant on the ball and he can create something out of nothing, but he ain't going to do the donkey work. Your wingers have to do it. And they've left their egos at the door. And Vinicius and Rafinha are working their nuts off. And 
the harassing sides. They're not letting sides pick up their heads and play. And Croatia need that. Croatia need to be able to pick their head up, play balls, play through the lines, and Brazil won't allow them to do that. And in Casemiro, he's been outstanding. And it's easy to see why Brazil favour playing him over Fabinho in that lone midfield role because he gets a, his intelligence. Uh, being in the right place at the right time to cut balls out is brilliant and it's consistent. And he's been consistently doing it for years. And his distribution is good. He's strong on the ball. He gets into the box late as well for the odd shot here and there. But defensively, he's he allows everyone else to play off, play off him. He's brilliant. He's and I hate the fact that he's at Manchester United because I hoped he'd blow up, but he just won't. He's just that good. And it's horrible to see him in the Premier League at that club. But in a Brazil shirt, he's brilliant at what he does. And credit to him. And the thing is, you've got to look at, I suppose, at the back, they're carrying knocks at fullback big time. Um, they're managing the minutes now for Militao bringing on Danny Alves and playing Danilo at left back because Alex is Alex Tellis. Alexandro, yeah, yeah, he's at he's he's out of the squad. Uh, Gabby Jesus out the squad as well, but it just doesn't look like they've it, it's phased them in any way. You know, Militao stepped in at right back. You got Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, who's just brilliant at reading the ball. And Danilo stepping in at left back is just rock solid, knows the job inside out, and he's comfortable in his own skin to be able to play left back or right back equally as good. You know, so you watch you watch more of the games than I have. Like have like Brazil, they got wins against Serbia, Switzerland, Korea in the knockouts. They lost to Cameroon in kind of a dead rubber final group yeah. game. Has anybody really gone at them? Like no. Like has any of their opponents attacked them enough that you can be like, ooh, there might be a weakness there. No, they haven't been able to sustain the ball long enough to be able to get at them in, in a sustained way. Anytime, even in the other night when Korea were able to not camp out in their final third, but build up play enough so they could get men forward, the fear always was that if they got the break in play, Rafinha was gone, Vinicius was gone, and... Richarlison was there to link that play up and Neymar was there to slide players in. If you're playing against this Brazil side and you decide to go for broke, they'll they'll crucify you on the counter. Whereas if you sit in and try to nullify them, you can do that for a while and you might even be able to do it for an hour. But eventually they'll tire you out. They'll mentally break you down to a point where even their midfielders, as someone said in the chat there, Bruno Gamaris comes off the bench. You got Paqueta. I haven't even talked about him. You know, they might just say, okay, you're going to sit in and camp in. Fine. We're playing a front four. Neymar makes it a front five. We'll add Paqueta to make it a front six. We'll use our fullbacks to tuck in with Casemiro to tuck you in. And eventually we'll do something. Eventually yeah. someone will do something and they'll just get a goal. The question's going to come when they go behind, if someone is good enough to get ahead of them. And then you'll see things, see what pressure, you know, what things, you know, with pressure and stuff. Can that cause them a problem? But at the minute, they're the standout side of the tournament. 
Yeah, and they've certainly played that way. I mean, none of the teams that they played really, like when I think of the the 11s that they're putting out, are blessed with a ton of speed on the counterattack no. sort of thing. Not quite like what you're seeing with, you know, uh, England, France, Argentina, Netherlands. Like everybody seems to have at least one player that's capable of breaking the lines because it's a pretty old defense that Brazil has out there. I mean, you know, yeah. veterans, they all know what they're doing. But I mean, Thiago Ashley, Silva, even Marquinhos. Ashley makes a great point there. Even if you get through all of them, you still got Alison Becker in goal. That's and Korea point. had chances. Korea forced Ali to make some really good saves, two or three really good saves. But he made them. And he made them comfortably. You know, he wasn't scrambling or anything like that. It was really good, proper saves that you expect the best keeper in the world to make. That's what I think is the difference between a France and a Brazil. It's Hugo Lloris will give you chances. Alison Becker won't. Yeah. You know, that's for me, that's the difference between the two countries. You know, both sides are looking really good, really clinical. Um, on the ball, off the ball, their work rates, everything about the two sides is very, very close. They both play a very similar style, very similar type of players in the positions they're playing them in. But I think the difference in the two sides is the keepers. You know, uh, Lloris has been all right in the tournament, but Becker has been levels. It's levels, it really is. Yeah, it's as a Liverpool fan, I mean, I think it's fantastic. Oh, we're completely biased, man. But I mean, I love the fact that the whole world is having to say, you know, Alison Becker might be the best goalkeeper in the world. Like having to hear pundits say that of like, it's got a really nice ring to it because we've known it for years. You know, had to deal with this bullshit Ederson Allison debate from a couple of years ago, and it's like, do you watch them play? Like, it's not even yeah. close. Like, no, and look, is Ederson a, is a very is a good goalkeeper. Yeah, he's Ederson. He's, he's a I think perfectly fine goalkeeper, but with hmm. his feet, he's unbelievable. But in terms of shot stopping and shutting down from the back, being commanding from corners, like everything that Allison does, it's just yeah. it's levels ahead. There was the the stat guy that does all the goalkeeper stats. I can't remember his name, Jonathan something or other. He was up on some podcast last year and showing that like if you can measure it out, and he tried to do that of like, you know, Allison's worth like seven goals a season more than the next best keeper in the league, sort of thing, in terms of what he brings to the team. Fantastic. Uh yeah, so I mean, awesome. I don't know if you want to do predictions, but I certainly think that Brazil's gonna sail through that game pretty easy. I have a yeah, tough time I've... seeing Croatia scoring. Yeah, that's the thing. Um Croatia's midfield, look, they're they're really good players. Brozovic, Modric, um, your man at Chelsea, what's his name? Kovacic. Oh, Kovacic, yeah. The three of the, they're competent, really good central midfielders. But I think the 120 minutes that they played in the last round and the quick turnaround in games is you don't, it's literally you play, you rest, you recover, you go again. Um, I think Brazil just have too much. They just have too many options, and I don't think the Croatia have enough answers. Um, I, I'd say three nil, but you could see was, something more. You genuinely that was could. exactly the scoreline I was thinking of. The one thing Croatia might have going for it is you said 120 minutes, but Kovacic, Modric, and Perisic were all taken off in the in the first 90. So yeah. you know, I guess they got a little lucky uh, right there. And Thor, <laughs> I, uh, I I do not really listened to Peter Schmeichel all that much. He was on the radio for I think the last Denmark game. He was on the BBC radio. Not great. No. Uh, he was um, basically saying that Alisson is a, 
he's an average goalkeeper. He does the things that goalkeepers are expected to do, nothing more. He's just, look, he, he just had his Manchester United, Manchester City head on and couldn't bring himself to a bit of reality. Uh, it's yeah. sad to see, but I'm sorry. He may no longer be the best goalkeeper to have uh, played in the Premier League. Yeah, that uh, might be a bit. It's a question to well. be asked. It's a question to be talked about when Allison eventually does leave us in the next five, six, seven years. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, winner of Brazil, Croatia, go on to play the winner of Netherlands v Argentina. Uh, yeah, this should be a good game. Clash of styles because the Dutch aren't playing like the Dutch. Nope. You know they're playing the complete opposite of what you expect from a Dutch side. But Very reserved. Extremely conservative. <laughs> extremely frustrating to watch because you see the quality that they have. It frustrates living daylights out of me seeing Virgil as the center of a back three when you can see all he wants to do is sharpen his elbows and push players forward. But look, Argentina are so over dependent on Leo Messi. Yes. That I think if you can keep him quiet, and that'll be difficult. Messi is Messi, and he will create chances. But I think if the Netherlands can keep him quiet for long enough, they'll get enough chances on the counter to be uh, to get in and get chances. And in Otamendi, if you're putting Otamendi against Gakpo and Depay, Depay. Yeah. then you know they will get chances. Yeah, Dutch will get chances. The one change I would love to see the Dutch make is Malassia to come in for Daily Blind to offer pace and strength and running ability on both wings. But for experience on that left-hand side, to double up on Messi, Daily Blind is probably the one he will stick with. Um, it's going to be such a clash of styles. It's going to be like if you're, you know, it's boxer versus puncher. It's, but it's not going to be that clash of styles that creates a great game. I think Argentina will dominate the ball. And the Dutch, the, the difference in this game could be if Argentina go ahead. Yeah. yeah we'll see then what, what Van Hal can do. Because if the Dutch can, if the Dutch fall behind, are they capable of clawing it back? That's the test. We don't know. But at the same time, Argentina, nullify Messi. Keep an eye on Alvarez, obviously. Alvarez is going to be... Um, Alvarez is one to watch for sure. I thought I think Lothar Martinez has been absolutely shocking. Really you know, bad, yeah. Yeah, he'll just take one look at Virgil and he'll run the other way. We know what he yeah. does. It's you know, Flashbacks gonna, to San Zero. Yeah, he'll just have uh, nightmares. And I can't... I think I think the Netherlands win, but I don't think it's going to be one for the year. It's not going to be a flashback to the um, clashes that you've seen in the past between the Netherlands and Argentina. You know where you could see like the Dennis Bergkamp goal, and you've seen Johan Cruyff against Mara Kempes and those type of games. I I think it's I think this one is going to be um, Dutch stubbornness will win out against Argentina. Um, hard-headedness <laughs> and it's it's literally going to be two clashes of styles and who's going to come out on top I just the, the young is key if the yes. young gets on the ball 
consistently enough. He can dictate play from deep, but credit where it's due. The Van Howe is stuck to what he thinks will win the tournament. He knows it's not popular. He knows that Dutch public aren't entertained by watching this. But he also knows that his strength, the Dutch strength that they do have, is at the back. Yeah. You know, they have t- three centre backs. You've Colossus and Virgil, and you've got two centre backs either side of him that are brimming with pace and can play. You know, they're, they're ball playing centre backs in Timber and uh, Ake. Okay. Yeah, they're both capable of bringing the ball out from the back. Daily Blend is the is the the interesting one for me because normally when you're playing that five three two, you need your wing backs to provide your whiff and be able to overlap. And they have that in Dumfries. Denzel Dumfries is a, a phenomenal wing back, to be honest. I think yeah. he's I right up there with one. Yeah, he's right up there with one of the best wing backs in world football. Yeah, I don't think he's a fullback. I think he is a proper wing back. Daily Blend is just like your safe, steady Eddie. You know, he'll do a job for you. You can rely on him. And do you know what? Every team, I suppose, needs that in it as well. You can't have 11 show ponies. You know, you have to have some, as Didier Deschamps was for France, you have to have the water carrier, someone to do the ugly stuff. And from what I'm looking at Holland, nobody's really stressed them out too much. You know, they've just gone about their work. He's fought with everyone in the media as he does. But here they are in the quarterfinal, and I think they'll be into a semifinal. Yeah. Yeah, G10 there says Netherlands have a lot of ordinary, overrated, and or over-the-hill players. I mean, that's another way of describing water carriers, really. Mm. I, you know, I'm thinking of their lineup, you know, Daily Blind. Yeah, he's, you know, probably David that Class- over-the-hill. David Klassen is another one. So, I mean, you're probably looking at a midfield three of De Jong for sure. And then Berghaus and who? Darun? Darun, yeah. But they're maybe, effective. Uh, yeah, David Kasten would probably be. Coop Miners is another one. But they're all steady eddy jobbers, you know. De Jong is, is a class player. De Jong is a really good footballer. David Kasten is a good player who just, it just didn't work for him in the Premier League. but. He went into a shithole that was Everton at the time. You know what they have? They have a team of Ginny Wijnaldum midfielders for the most yeah. part. With the exception of Frankie de Jong, they have a bunch of little Ginny Wijnaldums. Yeah. And, you know, that's a winning formula. And it's what you were saying with Van Hall of, you know, saying, I think this is how we're going to win this tournament. You know, that's all you have to do. You're not here to make friends or win fans or anything like that. No. He's here to win this tournament. This will be a and, swan song sort of thing. Well, and mate, given, given what he's gone through in the last 12 months... I can't think of anything. Yeah, I can't think of anyone more deserving in sport. Harry Kane probably thinks he's more deserving, but other than that. Yeah, other than that. I mean, the guy has fought cancer, for God's sake. And he went from chemotherapy to training. Um, I couldn't think of anything more fitting for his career. Bearing in mind what he's been through as a Dutch manager, as well as what he's done in club football for the Dutch so often the bridesmaid to pull one off, you know, to really pull it off. Given and bear in mind that they've given their goalkeeper his competitive debut at a World Cup. I mean, what the hell? You know, yeah. that, that's just like nuts. That's not done. And area he's just done it. You know what I mean? 
he's yeah he's he's just he's he's unique what are you gonna what's he gonna do at this point lose the job oh well you know yes yeah, uh, I'll, I'll cope <laughs> yeah this is his you know johnny cash american album it's one last chance yeah. to go into the studio and do what he does best but uh and i mean yeah i argentina like they've been in some interesting games lots of goals in their games they've been scoring two goals a game it seems like yeah. it all just comes down to whether Lionel messi can have something magic come from him because it seems like there's this absolute choke point in getting the ball from back to front for Argentina where it has to go through him at some point. Yeah. I mean, De Paul has started to improve. He needed to. He just hadn't shown up at the start of the tournament. I think they're better with Di Maria not in the side. Mm -hmm. I think that if you play Di Maria, you lose a midfielder. I think without Di Maria in the side, you can stiffen up the midfield a bit. Um, that probably gives the pole a bit more license and a bit more freedom. Enzo Fernandez has been the star find for them. We kind of anyone who's been watching Liverpool transfer gossip knows Enzo Fernandez from the summer, and he's another one. As Shawnee would say, he's having the kind of uh, year that we hoped he wouldn't. Yeah, and he's having the kind of World Cup that we hoped he wouldn't, but the world knows him now and. Exactly. G10 is making a great shot there. McAllister is playing really well as well. Again, a midfield full of what you call jobbers. Acuna, left back. Uh, I can't remember the right backs now. It's Milano or something like that. I can't remember. But you look at the two centre-backs, mm. Otamendi and Romero, and I'm looking at what the Dutch have going forward in Depay and Gakpo and thinking, yeah, they can be got at for sure, especially if, our, if the Dutch can see the ball. Uh, which will probably be their best bet is concede the ball. Molina, that's him. Thanks, Jeremiah. But yeah, it's um, if you can isolate Otamendi and get Gakpo or uh, Depay on him, or better yet, bring Bergwijn off the bench twenty minutes to go. Yeah, you know a proper pace merchant. Then you know I fancy the Dutch to go through in that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, me as well. I, I can see uh, I can see it being uh, give me give me three two to the Netherlands. That's what I think. That'd be bound to be that'd be yeah, a mental game. Bound to be some I'll good games that. in here. Yeah, uh, and then the uh, Portugal Morocco, a little bit of uh, across the Strait of Gibraltar derby, and yeah. this is. I went through the I went through the World Cup top ten rankings just before we went on here and just wrote them down and I mean like Netherlands eight Argentina three England five France four Croatia's twelve Brant Brazil's number one Portugal ninth Morocco twenty second so you know none of these eight teams are outside of the top twenty five in the world no. according to the FIFA dodgy rankings but this is the lowest ranked one but probably the least predicted out of any of these quarterfinals yeah but. W we were talking about it when the this round was drawn. That Morocco Spain game was the one game that we we all thought, yeah, something could happen there. Yeah, there's a lot of the Moroccan lads that play, play their trade in Spain, and they're playing at a decent level. Like Bono, uh, really good keeper. Um, then you've got the fullbacks, one at one at PSG, one at uh, Bayern Munich. Yeah, Mizrawi and Mizrawi and Hakimi. You know, Zajic is a really good footballer. We know he's a good footballer. We see what he does. And all of it, Buffal, you know, 
all around the team, they have some really good players. But I think this is going to be a step too far for him. I think the injury to Roman Saiz is going to be uh, it's going to be a real key. Um, he's had a really good tournament. He's rock solid. He's really good. Amber Bat looks an exceptional talent. Twenty six years of age. Someone's got to take a punt on him. I think he's too good a player to be a bench player for someone like us. I think he's good enough to be playing in a Champions League at a Champions League club, maybe even a last sixteen, last eight Champions League club. But yeah, they're they're just a good side, you know. They're an all round good side, and they have all of those things combined with pace. You know, they ev- will give every side trouble. But you look at what Portugal did tonight, and I think Portugal are a much better side without Cristiano Ronaldo in it. They're more <laughs> fluid. And look, forget the the fact I can't stand Ronaldo. Um, you take him out the side. That Portuguese side looks so much more balanced. It looks clinical, looks fluid. Um, you got so many it looks players. Like, it looks like they're all pl- like pulling in the same direction. You know, yeah. But you, you got you players got, like there wasn't a lot of tonight. You didn't see you didn't see Bruno Fernandez. You know, throwing his hands up and you know whining and crying like the sort of stuff that you've come to expect from a Portugal team that has Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandez, and Cristiano Ronaldo in it. Like that petulant man childishness. There wasn't a lot of that. I mean, it helps when you score six goals in a game, but like they definitely look better without Ronaldo. The Canadian coverage post game, they pretty much only talked about Ronaldo. Like in a six-one win for Spain and Gonzalo Ramos scoring a hat trick in the World Cup, given his first start in the tournament, and all yeah. they want to talk about is Ronaldo not being in the team. Of like, you didn't get the memo. Ronaldo's yeah. career at the top end of the game is done. Oh, it's been done for about three years. Yeah. It's like, just the rest of the world hasn't been prepared to understand that yet. Yeah, Jonathan Wilson from The Guardian was just, you know, copying major abuse last year when he said the same thing about Manchester United, that they were a better team without Cristiano Ronaldo in it. And, you know, yeah. people call him crazy. And then Ronaldo puts up, you know, his regular 20 goals and you can start to ask questions. But if you just watch them, you just know that that's the case. But I what a what a debut start at a <laughs> tournament for Massive. Cancelo Ramos. I That Massive. third goal, that dink was gorgeous it was a lovely finish and the thing is you look at who they've left out you had um you've got the guy who's at wolves um gonzalo guedes oh yeah yeah. jota's not there either you know and then you look at the depth that's there rafael leao sat in the bench you know comes on late and scores a lovely goal it's like they have some serious quality in depth and they have experience in the right areas at the back as well. But again, Pepe and Diaz, they have a good partnership. They're good at breaking the play up and stopping the threat. I mean, Ruben Diaz is a good centre back as long as the game is in front of him. Ruben Diaz is the kind of centre back you need to be able to turn them around. Yeah. If you can turn them around, he panics. We've seen that from Man City. We've seen that against Liverpool especially. That if you can make him turn around, uh, you can get at him. Cancelo didn't play today. You know whether that was just resting or what, I don't know. But the options they have to come on, I just don't see how Portugal don't win that. They'll be right up for this draw now after seeing what seeing the Spain got knocked out. Spain would be the kind of side that would frustrate the life out of Portugal. Yeah, 
you know, because the ball from them. Yeah, exactly. Making them chase them, that constant side to side, even if it's not threatening in behind, that constant having to chase the ball would drive them nuts. But I just think they'll have too much for Morocco. I just, I mean, look, for Morocco to get to the last eight of a World Cup is a phenomenal achievement. It really, really is. I remember when Ireland did it, when we did it in 1990 and got to the last eight and got knocked out to, by Italy. You know, it was a massive achievement for the country. And you can imagine the same in Morocco tonight. It's going to be absolute. The country's going to be a buzz. It's going to be mental. And come the time of the game, when it kicks off, the players are just going to be so up for it. But I think Portuguese players have so many big game players that they'll just manage the expectations within themselves and say, okay, it's quarterfinal, let's just go and win it. We're in the semifinal and we'll deal with that then. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the difference in the two. I think that's how Portugal will probably get, and I think it'll be fairly comfortable. I think it'll probably be 2-3-0, uh, two, maybe 1-2-3-1 one, one maybe. Could be more, but yeah. who was the uh, who played six for Portugal tonight? Was that another Danilo? Uh, no, it was um, William Carvalho. Phenomenal. Well, yeah, it was really good. And the thing is with Carvalho, he's he's really experienced. There was a lot of talk a few years ago about him going to West Ham. West Ham were prepared to pay something like 42, 43 million for him, and he's just um. He ain't the quickest. He's kind of like, uh, oh, he's not in the Casemiro bracket, but he's in that level below where he's 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 not quick, but he's good at reading the game and he gives the ball to players who are better than him. Yeah. You know, and there, nothing wrong with having players like that on your side. And then when you want to change it, you can bring Vettini off the bench or you can play uh, Ruben Nevis if you want to go yeah. that route as well. You can play him. You know, he's had a good rest today, so came on for a few minutes at the end. They have serious options, man. Yeah, it's the, it's going to come down to whether Morocco can continue. Slim Biggins is just not taking our – it's like Argentina Morocco to qualify double so far. Yeah. Right? we're go If that happens, good. Uh, fair play. If you can get on that, it would be some double, I tell you. Yeah, build that, build that one up. Uh, mm. Like Morocco, just a phenomenal defensive record. You know, so far, the only goal they've conceded was an own goal. So, you know, nobody's been able to put the ball past them. The goalkeeper's going to have to be on absolute cloud nine after his performance, that penalty shootout today, regardless of how terrible the three penalties were. I mean, unbelievable to have, you know, two saves and another one bounce off the post in a final. I'm wondering if Portugal goes back with Cancelo just to try to inject a little bit more creativity, knowing that Morocco is going to be so stubborn to break down. You know, they're going to be organized in their ranks at the back. They got some big players in there to get, you know, head the ball away and stuff like that. I wonder if just that little bit of extra devilment that comes from Jao Cancelo might be the tonic. But I for... think, how do you, how, where do you, do you play him on the right or the left? If you take Guerrero out or you take Diogo Dallo out? I mean, at the end of the day, Cancelo's better than both of them. So it wouldn't be a step down in any way, but it would be harsh on the two lads because, you know, um, Guerrero scored and Dallo created one, so yeah. but it is a squad game, and he might just say, Okay, you know, you will rest one of you, and on the hour, one of you is coming on to replace the other one, and just play it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it just seems like 
Portugal's going to have far too much for them. But I mean, it would be lovely if Morocco's, you know, dream run could continue. Oh, so I'm yeah. sure there'd be a few national holidays declared by the king. Yeah, I saw somebody in the chat earlier. I don't know if it was a joke or not, saying that the king's going to charter a bunch of private planes to fly their fans over. Like, well, he's already so. done. He's already done it today. I think he had, had three extra flights come in from Good. Morocco today. And uh, look, fair play. If you have and to have a king anyways, they, sh they should at least every so often throw a bone to the peasants and, you know, throw them onto a <laughs> private plane and take them out to the World Cup. But, I mean, it it is fantastic. Somebody up there just said, yeah, G10 said that, you know, Morocco today is what the World Cup is all about. This is what you want to see. You want to see yeah. that nation that gets to have that moment, like Saudi Arabia got after beating Argentina. In the yeah, end, it 100%. means nothing. But, you know, those people have that memory forever, and it yeah. just helps build. Cameroon beating Brazil. You know, it, it's it's – we had it in 94 when we beat Italy. You know, it's yeah. World Cup moments is what fans treasure for the rest of their days. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look know, Senegal 2002 against France and a member of that team is now the coach of Senegal at the World Cup. Yeah, so exactly. You know, yeah. It, that's how your legacies are built. So the winner of the Portugal Morocco game will take on the winner of the big one, England, France, quarterfinals mm. of the World Cup. Got yeah. a tasty ring to it. It does, I mean, the thing is, it's a massive game in its own right anyway. England and France always is. You know, uh, there's no surprises in any of the two lineups when they play each other because they know each other so well. They come across each other either in the league or in the Champions League on a regular basis. So, for me, this is... Um, France go into it as favourites, but it's um, far from a foregone conclusion that France run out the winners in it. It's um, you're never it's like sort of saying that, yeah we see look I personally don't we me and Chris were talking about this earlier and it's like Southgate and Deschamps are two naturally conservative coaches when it boils down to it they are very risk averse in situations where they're evenly matched but France have the X factor of a Kylian Mbappe, uh, Antoine Griezmann, Osman Dembele to individually change games. But England have that in players too. You know, they have that in Bukaya Sako, Saka, they have it in Harry Kane, they have it in Phil Foden, if Jordan he plays Jack Grealish. Henderson. Jordan Henderson was brilliant <laughs> the other night. I was really impressed he with was. him. But the thing is, you look at the way the two sides have lined up throughout the tournament. England have lined up consistently with 4-3-3. France have consistently lined up with 4-2-3-1 with Antoine Griezmann having that free role behind Olivier Giroud. And Mbappe on one side with Dembele as Dembele playing as your traditional really wide winger. Yeah. He doesn't Talk come inside. He yeah, he stays wide. You know, he if he could go any wider he would. But he's so comfortable on either foot. He's a brilliant, brilliant player in the form, in really good form as well. Managing to stay fit for once, which is really good. Yeah. But the battle for me in this game, it's not so much killing Mbappe because Mbappe is going to have moments in every game. He always does. He's always going to have chances and moments. And he could do nothing for 70 minutes and then pop up and get a brace in five minutes. That's just the kind of player he is. But it's the midfield battle between with... Um, England's three, which I think will include Jordan Henderson. I think he'll go the same again. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Exactly Declan Rice. 11. I think he'll go the same midfield. I don't know if he'll go the same 11. 
but I think he'll go with the same midfield for sure. Um, Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice, uh, Jude, Bell- Jude Bellingham, because it has a really good balance. You've got your sitter, you've got your box to box, and you've got your one who can go on and run in advance of your forwards in Jude Bellingham. And it'll be those three against the two from the two French in Chumani and Rabio. And can those three keep those two quiet and starve the French of the ball in the kind of areas that they want to play in? That's for me is where the game is won and lost. It's um and also is Deschamps brave enough to play Griezmann in that free role, or will he revert to type and go with a third man in midfield and match England up that way? I don't know. I mean, I don't think the two centre-backs will be overly concerned. They'll obviously be worried, but they'll have faced Olivier Giroud for years. They know exactly what he brings to the table. There's nothing new in Olivier Giroud's game that has miraculously transformed him by going to AC Milan. He's not changed that much. You know, so it's it's the other side. It's Dembele and it's Griezmann. Uh, sorry, it's Dembele and Mbappe. What they offer a side going forward is pure raw pace and power on one side and trickery and abundance on the other side. But then you look at England and you say, okay, where do they, you know, Harry Kane drops in to make it uh, an extra, another another extra player in midfield where yeah. you've got Saka, maybe Rashford or Foden or whoever he plays up front, making runs in behind and creating problems for the French that way. The other side of it is France will probably go with Varane at the back rather than Kanate. He'll yeah. go with Varane and Upamecano. And you'd look at those two and you think, yeah, they can be got at. You know, they're really good players. They are really good players, but they can be got at. And Hugo Lloris definitely has Rick in him. 100% Hugo Lloris has a Rick in him. Also, all stats said, France are favourites. You know, and France should win. And I think they probably will win. But I don't think it's good. I, I don't think it'll be a massive runaway. But as far as I know, when it comes to World Cup games, and I'm hoping to be corrected, I don't think France have ever beaten England in the World Cup. Really? No. The last time they played was, I think it might have been 86. England won 2-1, I think. 2 or 3-1. Brian Robson was scored. But, no, it could have been 82. Not sure. But it's... France... Like I said, France have the quality to win. The other side of it as well, France playing, they're not playing with a traditional right back. They're playing with, um, what's his name? The centre-back that Barca just signed. Oh, Jules Koundé. Seville. Jules Koundé on one side. Theo Hernandez on the other side is phenomenal for battling. He'll yeah. bomb on and he'll create havoc down that, down that right-hand side. Down England's right-hand side, France's left-hand side. But on the other side, Jules Kunde won't go forward. He won't get too involved in it. He'll almost they'll almost play with a back three when they're attacking, and then a back four, a back four when they're defending. The question, yeah. the other question, as G ten makes a good point. No, no, but I, I just saw sixty six and thought Trent. <laughs> 
if no, England those are the two times England played France, I believe. Oh, six to six and eight to six. If um, England play a back five, with Kyle oh, that's Walker, what is thinking. with Kyle Walker being a third centre back, I think if they do that, I think you have to play with Trent as right wing back. I think Trippier is a good fullback. I think Trent offers you so much more with the ball. And if England play with a back five, they have to be direct. And if you play with a back five against this French side, the game is in front. They'll just spread. They'll pull the, the midfield three apart. Yeah. And they'll just play the games on the wings. And I think ultimately, eventually, you'll fall up. Uh, uh, you'll get beat. I think England's best chance is to play 4 3 3 and just eventually go for it. But I think France have too much. They have too many answers to anything that England can throw at them. But, you know, there's game winners and goal scorers on both sides. England have been scoring well in this tournament. You know, they've been, yeah. I think they're the tournament's top scorers, if not. Maybe not now after Portugal played, but they're one of the tournament's top scorers, and they've only conceded two, as far as I know. Uh, they're they're level on goals scored with Portugal on twelve. Yeah, and the thing is, you look at it. I think they conceded two against Iran, both of them late on, and one of them was really dubious. Yeah, yeah. So they have chance for sure, but France should have enough to win it, and that opens up the draw. Then when you look at it. Look at Fran a potential of France Portugal and um, one half for one semi final and the other semi final Argentina. Sorry, the I think the Netherlands against Brazil. Yeah. Mad. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's shaping up to be a, a pretty good little run of knockout football here. I mean four games, not thinking there's gonna be any draws. It's bound to be one of these games. Which one of these games is most likely it's to one end of up those... being a draw? I suppose Argentina and Argentina and the Netherlands has the potential to be really tight. Yeah. They could cancel each other out. I don't see I don't see um Portugal and Morocco being anything close. I think and Brazil have are just looking really good. You know, when they're on it, they're looking and they look like they're really enjoying it as well. They look like I mean all the Ferrari about them dancing for the celebrations and the goals and all that. That's samba football. That's what you know you pay to see. Yeah. But they look like they're enjoying playing with each other. And they look supremely confident. Ultimately, G10, that would be the ultimate final for a football fan. Repeat of the 98 final from France. Uh, it's got to be. It's got to be Argentina-Portugal final. Ronaldo versus Messi one last time. Winner gets the World Cup. Loser has to retire on the spot. Like an old-fashioned loser has to leave town wrestling match. <laughs> oh, if you gave Triple H any ideas, yeah, it'd be like <laughs> Bret, the Bret Hart Toronto screw job all over again. That's right. Yeah, that's that's Ronaldo's next career moves. He's going to join the WWE and fully embrace the comic book lifestyle. Yeah, Morton makes a point there. England France might go to penalties. It could do. You know, I think. I think people are too quick to dismiss England's chances in this game because France are just riddled with stars. And you've got the Mbappe factor. You have to factor that in. Well, but, it's, as it stands, he's the best player in the world right now. Oh, yeah, he is. He yeah, looks yeah. like he has the world at his feet. Like, you know, he broke onto the world stage at the last World Cup, becoming, you know, what youngest scorer at a World Cup. 
Yeah. Or youngest score in a World oh. Cup final, maybe the whatever it is, you know. But now he's ready to take that next step. And like to me, this is the this is the moment that, you know, in 10, 15 years, you'll look back and go, when did the Ronaldo Messi era end? And the Mbappe, you know, Holland or Mbappe, whoever era, Darwin Nunez era start. I'm being very optimistic with no, that. There's there's, there's I, the there's the there's the Mbappe and let's be honest, no one else is close. No one and I think this, and... the way he's playing, like I would see joint top scorer in the tournament currently, and he looks to he looks to have that that leadership ability of just give me the ball, I'll get us over the line, mm. and he can just turn something out of absolutely nothing. Like, he's such a brilliant player to watch, and it really feels like this could be his tournament. And you know, from the start, it was hard to discount France's potential mm. winners, regardless of what I would. Like the one thing we happen. haven't talked about is the effect that Jude Bellingham could have on this game. Yeah, the, that England midfield going up against, because, I mean, if France, if we presume that both teams are going to go with the same lineups that they've fielded in their, you know, competitive games that they've played, you know, not games where you're bringing in wholesale changes at the end of a group stage, England's midfield, Rice, Bellingham, and Henderson, they're going to need to have a fantastic game. You know, yeah. Henderson is going to need to have a prime Henderson performance. You know, Declan Rice is going to need to restart the rumors of him being worth 100 million pounds. Or it's any, there's a lot of young kids that are taking the world by storm at this tournament. And yeah. Jude Bellingham could be the next one in that. Like, you know, if you look at how Musiala played, the two young kids playing for Spain in the midfield, Vinicius Jr. is still crazy young. And, you know, these are some of the, like, Cody Gakpo, there's another young player that are just, these are the names this tournament that yeah. have really jumped out and kind of stolen the headlines. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, Mohamed Kudus has been exceptional. Yeah. You know, I've really enjoyed watching him. Um, there's, there is a good crop of young players coming through. But I think the gap between that crop of players and Mbappe is ridiculous. And I, my hope is that he leaves PSG. Uh, whether he goes to Spain or comes to England, I don't care. For what, as a football fan, I want to see him playing at the highest level for against the best competition for as long as possible to see how good really is he. You know, because I don't believe that playing in France is going to get the best out of him. Yeah, you really want to see him playing you know, slightly stronger competition, slightly more meaningful games on a more regular basis. You know, there's only so much, you know, games against Angers and Toulouse and stuff like that. Like, let's let's see him try to play his trade in a in one of the big leagues yeah. in Europe. I mean, and, and I the think thing he is, will. I mean, I hope why he does. He want to? He's got a legacy. Exactly. I mean, I'm looking there now to show on Sky the French um, top scorers list and when you look at the uh, players that are, he's gone ahead of, Olivier Giroud, 117 caps, strike rate of one in every 2.2 goals. Um, Thierry Henry, 51 goals, 123 caps. So Giroud has got there faster. Antoine Griezmann on 42. Michel Platini on 41. Karim Benzema, 37. David Trezeguet on 34. You know, to think that David Trezeguet is on 34 goals and Olivier Giroud is way out in front on 52. Give the man his props, man. Olivier Giroud is a proper striker. You know, and he was he was the he was almost like the uh 
plus one when he was at Arsenal. He was the plus one when he was at Chelsea. But for France, I think he's per- he's the perfect striker for um, Kylian Mbappe to play with. Yeah, you yeah, know, he absolutely is. There's something just criminally underrated about Olivier Giroud. Like in a North American context, it's like when a guy retires and gets put into the Hall of Fame of whatever sport they played. And you, you see the names of the guys inducted in that year, and you're like, who is this? And then you look at the numbers beside it, and you're like, oh, yeah. I <laughs> forgot. He was really good for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I mean, becoming, uh, becoming France's all-time leading international goal scorer, that's a massive accomplishment. Like, it's in terms of the size of feathers you can put in your own cap, yeah. they don't get a lot bigger than that. And to think that he did it faster than Thierry Henry. When we hold Thierry Henry up as being one of the best strikers of his generation, the best forwards of his generation, I know Thierry played a lot of games for France as a right winger. You know, it wasn't until he moved to Arsenal that he developed into being a forward that scored goals. But But your your right winger doesn't score 30 goals a season? Come on. Uh, 30 from right wing? That's not for everyone (laughs) these days. You know know the score. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good little roundup we had there, Kev. We've got a couple of uh, well-earned days off here, so. Yeah, I got to catch up on so much stuff, man. My FIFA, my FIFA has been definitely neglected for the last three or four weeks, so I'm going to be a whole a whole bunch of cool World Cup packs that you've missed out on because you've been busy doing watch-alongs. Yep. 100%. Yeah, it's, I got. I got to try to throw a quiz together for Thursday night, so I believe that's the plan. I'm not sure if there's going to be a show tomorrow, but uh, I'm planning on having an interactive quiz for everybody on Thursday. I have yet to decide the difficulty of the quiz. Uh, we might err on the side of easy. We might err on the side of difficult. Who knows? But Yeah, uh, I'm involved in that one at all. Thank God you saved it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I got to have something to do to help out with the show. Can't Aye. do much in terms of the watch-along, so... Oh man, I'll tell you, I'm really enjoying doing them and seeing some of the people who are in the chat here are really, you know, they're in the um, in the chat for the watch along as well. Veranda Cheese, now I'm on Xbox now, mate. I was on PlayStation for for a good few years, but I'm on I've, I'm on Xbox now, and it's um, completely different game. But yeah, Matt will be here Thursday night for his interactive quiz, and that'll be good. That'll be really good because if it's, it's one thing in the summer, I really enjoy doing them. It's like you realize how much you how much you think you know and how much you really know. Yeah, Two and when you've things. got when you've got five or six seconds to pick an answer real quick and that yeah. the counter's going down on you, all of a sudden all that knowledge just seems to just elude you for that critical, critical moment. So uh, but it'll be good. I don't know. It'll be good for sure. I'm I'm getting to the point now where I am desperately missing watching Liverpool and having fresh Liverpool stuff to talk about because yeah, pretty pretty quiet on that front lately. You know, with the exception seen of some of the pic- seen some of the pictures come out with Naby uh, in training. Just hope that everyone remembers to pick the soap up in the shower and nobody mm-hmm. slips, strips, and falls and all that kind of good stuff. Keep him away from any sort of stairs or whatever it was Carb that he objects. fell down before United this year. Yeah, yeah. he's going to be like a new signing. Grass. Yeah, he's he's going to take the world by storm in that League Cup game against City when we get back. You know what? I would love absolutely nothing more than to be completely 100% wrong on what he does between now and the end of the season. Nothing would give me absolutely more joy yeah. to be than to be completely wrong and have egg all over my face. We'll just leave it at yeah. that. 
Yeah, exactly right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you haven't already, please hit the like button on your way out, subscribe bell, notification icon, and all that good stuff. Uh, check out Lydia's GoFundMe page. She's had her surgery. She's hopefully on the mend now. Just needs a few more dollars to get her to her fundraising goal, and that's all well and taken care of. Other than that, thanks for watching tonight. We'll see you guys around on Thursday for Quiz Night. Sports Social Podcast Network.